Hello and welcome. I'm Clina Foley and this is Off the Bench, a women's sport podcast which we hope will entertain and educate sports fans of all ages and genders. Here in Ireland, the Little Ladies National Football League has just started. We're two rounds into it with the third one coming up on February the 15th and 16th. But this year it's actually without as many as 18 of its top players because they're gone to Australia to play in what is the AFLW, or footy as they know it, down in Oz. Um, so because of that, we decided to have a look at it this year. The schedule at the moment in the AFLW allows Irish players to go down there, play and get back in time for the championship and possibly even for the late stages of the league. But it looks increasingly as if it may keep them there longer in future years. And also, we've already had some criticism from some Irish managers about players kind of trying to do both. So it's really interesting. With 18 Irish players down there this year, there's increased interest in it. And for that reason, we thought we wanted to talk to somebody who really knows a lot about this, and that's Kate O'Halloran, coming to us via the joys of Skype all the way from Australia. Welcome to Off the Bench, Kate. Thanks for having me. It's brilliant to talk to you. I followed you since AFLW started four years ago and the reason we're chatting to you above all else is because you're a journalist, um, you have a, a, a radio programme called Kick Like a Girl, Kick like a girl and, um, which I think is maybe a podcast as well, we'll talk about that later, but through your social media, I've noticed you bring a really critical eye to the AFLW. You really are looking at where it's going, how it's developed, and what needs to happen next. So for that reason, we thought you would be the ideal person to talk to about the AFLW and um, just to see where it's happening. It started last weekend. It's the fourth season of it. Tell us what's new this season about AFLW. Uh, well, probably the big thing is we've got four new teams, so that might explain why there's more Irish and international players coming to Australia as well, because obviously there's more list spots for a start. So we've got uh, Richmond, Gold Coast, West Coast and St Kilda joined. I know that won't necessarily mean much to uh, the Irish viewers, but... Uh, Richmond in particular is a really traditionally big club here so there was a lot of excitement for them to kick off uh, the first night against Carlton on Friday last week. And tell us, um, it, we, we hear that it is a sort of a semi-pro league, we hear the numbers are increasing, um, but there was a bit of kerfuffle even before the season started this year and they were trying to work out new contract deals. Explain us to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, the collective bargaining agreement for the women's players was up for renewal. So there was a lot of um, disgruntlement, I guess, from some of the uh, players here in Australia just in terms of their wages, uh, the fact that many are still working full-time jobs and trying to balance uh, playing AFLW. I know, you know, it might seem like they're getting pay paid well comparatively um, in terms of overseas leagues, but what most people don't realise is that it's still their second job. They're still getting taxed half of that money because that's the rule here in Australia. If it's your second job, you lose 50% in tax. Uh, so a lot of them, I think now that we're in season four, you know, they're saying, and Emma Carney and Darcy Vessio, who are two of the bigger players in the league, both wrote opinion columns in the lead up to the first week just saying, you know, we've sort of passed the grateful stage. You know, we're not just grateful to be here and playing football. We actually need to make a living and, and we want to dedicate as much as we can to this competition. But the expectations of us are as if we're full-time professional athletes and we're not that at all. You know, some of us are working night shifts. Um, well, yeah. One of the best. 
one, incredible that you should mention it because I, I spotted in the news uh, that, that one of the players had been hit by lightning before the season started. And I looked at that and I thought, what on earth is going on there? Tell us that story because it does demonstrate that, that our Aussie players are playing as well, are working outside playing and, and the extraordinary demands that are being put on them. Tell us that story. Yeah, so I, that's what I was just about to tell you about Jessica Wushner. Um, yeah. She plays for the Brisbane Lions. She's a forward. Um, she's kicked a, a heap of goals in the last few seasons. So a very well-known player, but still works on the docks as a stevedore. And she was actually working at 3 a.m. in the morning, uh, 19 days out from the start of the season, and was struck by lightning, uh, <laughs> incredibly. And, you know... Um, wasn't even sure if she was going to be able to play on the weekend. Incredibly, she did. I think that's amazing. Phenomenal. That's but, uh, amazing. Mm, um, but, yeah, Beck Goddard, who coached Adelaide, actually, to the premiership in their first season, in the first season of the competition, she's now a VFLW coach, which is the tier down. But she was commentating on the weekend, and she really strongly made that point that these top players, someone like Jess Wushner, should not be working at 3am in the morning, 19 days out from a competition. And it actually has been useful that it drew attention to the fact that these players are often juggling not only jobs, but, yeah, night shifts, early morning shifts, uh, lack of sleep, you know, training that finishes at 10pm and then they've got to go back home to bed, eat some dinner and go to work the next day. Yeah, really highlighted it and really interesting to see it brought up and discussed on on uh, sports shows over there as well, which is brilliant um, because it will probably, I'd say, raise awareness that that's what's exactly going on. Um, tell us, uh, it's interesting, the collective bargaining, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just an argument about money, it was also an argument actually that the players wanted more games and there has been some argument over the size of the league, the expansion of the league as well, hasn't there? Yeah, well, it's a bit complicated to explain, actually. But it, um, if yeah, if your um, listeners or viewers are familiar with the American conference system that they have for things like basketball, they've tried to replicate that here with Australian rules football, um, except it's not sort of geographically divided. So it's not as if all our West Coast and East Coast teams are in one conference. They're yeah. just mixed up in terms of a determination that the AFL's made about how good the teams are, where they're going to finish. So actually last season it was introduced to much controversy and ended in a very lopsided result, meaning that teams that had won many more games <laughs> missed out on finals for inferior teams. And it just led to a... I suppose, disappointing, more one-sided final series than we could have had if we'd had a regular uh, ladder and fixture. But the AFL has been very hesitant to give the women's game a full season and the players are rightly upset about this because, you know, so much goes into this competition, so much training, so much fitness work. You know, there's a lot of injuries um, and these women are getting contracts just for the season and then they have to maintain their fitness and, uh, you know, their readiness to compete in yeah. the off-season or, or off their own bat. And so they, for the, they, just to interrupt, sorry to interrupt you, they, so at, the, at this season anyway, because they brought in new teams, everybody's going to have eight games minimum, they play everybody in their own conference and then they play two cross-conference games and then there'll be... Last, the first year was straight final. Last year there were semi-finals, and this year, if you like, there's sort of a quarter-final there as well. But you've got a, an mm. A conference and a B conference, so you have more games. So the season has expanded slightly. Starts it starts in Feb.
February, started last weekend and f will finish up in April. Um, so is, there go is it going to get even bigger than that, Kate? Well, one of the wins, so with the collective bargaining agreement, it was initially voted down by the player body. Uh, actually, a majority voted in favour of it, but there was a rule that three quarters had to vote in favour to actually accept uh, the agreement. So when it got voted down, that was one of the wins that the players had, which is that um, in the next couple of seasons, we'll see extra games added on to the regular season fixture. However, it won't still be enough to have each team play each other once. Yeah, which makes no sense, really. If you're going to set up two conferences, seven teams in both, surely you'd have home and away to start with. Give us, give us seven, seven games in our own conference and then go into playoffs. I know, I mean, it's it's just bizarre because you've got an extra couple of games and then it's arbitrary who you play from the other conference. So yeah. really, it, it doesn't replicate any other conference system in sport worldwide. It's just um, and Kate, a tell very me, bizarre. Is that, is that because they... They don't want to. They don't want the season to run into the men's AFL season. They don't want it to crisscross or something. Are they trying to squeeze it into a space? Explain to us why are they not kind of going full hog and giving it what you'd expect normally to be with the league? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. So Nicole Livingston, uh, head of women's football, has spoken a lot about this idea that she thinks that AFLW needs clean air or you know a window in the Australian sporting calendar to get enough. Uh, viewers to get to generate enough interest. So if you think about the Australian sporting calendar, Australian Open is huge in January. Uh, then the men's competition starts up in March. So, if, and they're conscious of cricket as well in the summer. So it's been sort of squeezed into this very small gap in the fixture. And obviously, it still overlaps with some of those things, including the men's competition. But I think if the AFL had it their way, there would be no overlap. Um, but, you know, that's had all sorts of consequences for the women's competition, including that they're playing in um, tremendous heat. I yeah. mean, we've had mid-40-degree 40, 40 degree days and lightning, flash flooding. We had bushfires just before the season. You've had incredible you know, weather, absolutely. I was just wondering, was there any worry this year that they might delay the start of it because of the bushfires? Because we're all very aware over here because there's so many Irish in Australia. We follow a lot of what goes on over there. And then we've seen this week with the flooding and everything in Sydney, isn't it? Yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, absolutely, there was conversation about something like the Australian Open getting delayed, which... Yeah you know, never happened um, because of a extreme weather event. So um, there was a lot of talk about whether that would eventually affect AFLW. And I wouldn't be surprised if that does, because actually our fire season this year has been a lot earlier, thanks to climate change. So yeah. um, actually we're entering the much more dangerous months now. And in the last two seasons, we've had two games that got interrupted by lightning as well in Sydney. So, you know, so, wow. it's, so it's um, not the ideal time of year to be playing, is what you're saying? No. The other thing is, I mean, the women's second-tier competition, uh, which is different in each state, runs during winter. So uh, when you, you know, if you don't make the side, you can't go down to the reserves and, you know, play, uh, you know, try things out, um, try a different position. You know, yeah. there's no um, fallback for those players. So it really is an, not an ideal time of year to be playing. I, look, I've... I don't think that's the biggest issue for the AFLW players at the moment. I think they'd much prefer a longer season before they'd look at shifting the time of year per se. But, you know, I should explain that the men's competition here runs longer than just each team playing each other once. So, And there's been a lot of 
discussion from the men's players and player association about wanting to shorten that season. So a lot of us have been saying, well, why don't we shorten the men's season, have a longer women's season and have a fair fixture for both? But, you know, the ASL just sees money in the men's game and, I mean, they're still not even charging for the women's game. So Really, um, really interesting issue. This is a really interesting issue. We had a, we did a podcast uh, probably in late December and one of the things we talked about was, are we selling women's sport too short, too, too cheaply? Are we not valuing what we're seeing? And, and this issue of giving away free tickets, apart from the fact that, that I think that it is, it, it can be used slightly pejoratively against women. Oh, you know, you've got big numbers there, but you're giving away free tickets. What's your view on free tickets? And uh, first of all, are they giving free tickets to all games, first of all, still after four years? Yeah, I actually wrote a column for the ABC on this this week because um, it's actually been an issue for fans, particularly with the opening game. The very first year we had more than 25,000 people show up, which was the capacity crowd. And so it was called a lockout because, you know, they literally had to lock the gates and lock people out. So ever since that happened in year one, we've had this repeat situation where the AFL warns everybody about it being a potential lockout. And so fans are, you know, anxious, showing up really early, lining up for hours, but the game's not ticketed. So a lot of people have commented that that actually turns them away. You know, they prefer to stay at home, watch it on TV, than stand in line for hours and miss out. So we had 15,000 at the first game on Friday, which I think had a lot to do with the issue of the lack of ticketing. Um, and that's what my column was about. A lot of people seem to agree on Twitter that that was an issue for them. Uh, there have been the odd games that have been ticketed. Uh, the Western Derby, so it's played between the two Western Australian teams uh, this year, is going to be ticketed, and that's in part a bushfire relief uh, fundraiser. But oh. generally the games that are ticketed are the ones that are uh, sort of paired with a men's match so whether it's a pre-season men's match because those games are ticketed so it, again I you know my argument is that yes we are selling short the value of women's sport because Nicole Livingston again head of women's football was asked about this over the weekend and she said well we've got four new clubs and we want them to have the same opportunity to draw a crowd without the price barrier and I just think it's that from this real deficit position about women's sport and the presumption that people aren't going to show up if they have to pay. And I just see no evidence of that when I have attended these matches over four years. No, and we see no evidence of that over here with women's sport in Ireland and particularly with team sport in Ireland as well. Um, it, but, it, but, it, but we do notice that even rugby internationals, um, the prices are lower than for men's. And this is a question I ask is, you know, if you give it away, will people value it? Do they really, you know, and also how on earth are you going to create revenue streams for women's sport? Yeah, I just feel it becomes a real self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it's so easy for the AFL to say, well, we can't make the women's game professional because it's not it's not generating any revenue. <laughs> they haven't given it the opportunity to generate any revenue. So it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy about the value and lure of women's sport and it keeps it in this deficit position where people can make that argument that people are only showing up because it's free or, you know, that they need to remain semi-professional because they don't generate revenue. Yeah, it it's that constant fair. cyclical argument, isn't it? Um, and tell me about TV, because obviously um, media coverage and TV is really important. Um, and um, do they have, first of all, do they have live to air or do they have pay-per-view? Or how much, how much can you see, see women's uh, AFL on TV now? 
Um, yeah, it's a mixture of free-to-air and pay TV, which I find a bit disappointing. Our government actually gave a big grant to uh, private company, Foxtel, to show women's sport uh, specifically. So in my mind, that actually keeps it hidden away from or inaccessible to a lot of the people that AFLW has drawn into the game. You know, I, I run a radio show called Kick Life Girl, about AFLW, I have a friend who every week she interviews fans in the crowd. Uh, the segment's called Voices from the Stands. And they constantly tell her that they've been drawn back to AFLW because they were turned off by the, you know, much more patriarchal culture of AFL men's football. And so, you know, I'm finding that this game brings so many people to the sport who are, have either been ostracised by it or have never actually been sport fans in the first place. But they're interested in social justice and gender equality. So they're not the kind of people who have, you know, Foxtel sports subscriptions. So I think it's a real barrier for people to access the game. And is it not on national TV or free-to-air TV at all? Is it not on, I think, is it seven is the equivalent to our RTE, to our national broadcasting station? There, yeah, there's a few games that are on each week. So um, out of, I think, uh, six games, there's probably two or three that'll be available, but uh, a couple will be on the main channel and one will be on a secondary channel. So, you know, it's it's okay. We've got some coverage, but yeah, it would be and, ideal if it was more. Accessible. And is there a highlight show? Is there a show that kind of embraces the whole lot of them together? Is there a weekly highlight show yet? Uh, not really. There's one on Channel 9, uh, women's football show, but, you know, just it doesn't get anywhere near the kind of analysis or coverage yeah. that men's football does. That probably goes without saying. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah we get very patchy coverage in mainstream media. Um, are there, I mean, we saw last year, obviously, the Taylor Harris, that famous image and the Twitter thing that followed about a, an incredible athlete in action and that beautiful image that we saw. And then there was a huge Twitter storm over the reaction to it and some of the sexist comments. And I noticed she's got a book out now, uh, which is very interesting, not an autobiography, but in, in some way dealing with, um, you know, a social media trawling, how to deal with all this stuff and a little bit about her life. Um, is she a superstar or did that just throw her into the limelight? And also, who are the national superstars of the game, if you like? Uh, I think she's certainly become probably much more recognisable face of the game. She's always had quite an extraordinary talent in terms of particularly she's got this long, booming kick. Um, I think she actually featured in... When the AFL men's finals were on last year, they had a longest kick competition and she beat a lot of the men uh, with her kick. So, <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's quite well known for that and got a great leap and great mark, uh, but probably underperformed, you know, until that photo. I actually would say her form's probably picked up since the whole controversy uh, and the sexism online, which is incredible, like what incredible resilience uh, from her. Yeah. In terms of the big stars of the game, you know, there's actually we had a lot of movement in the off season. So Katie Brennan uh, from the Western Bulldogs, she was their captain. Now she's moved to Richmond and she's Richmond's captain. Bree Davey was at Carlton and captain and now she's moved to Collingwood and she's vice captain. So we've seen some of the big faces of the league switch teams, which is a bit more unusual in the men's competition. But I think the context that people should understand is that, again, we're in this really fledgling space 
and there's very small salary caps for women's teams. But some of those bigger clubs like the Richmonds, like Collingwood, can actually offer additional sponsorship or, you know, um, deals or, yeah, um, promotion payment for those kind of players. So it's interesting to see them move around. But, sorry, the big... The big name is Erin uh, Phillips. She's she's uh, she won the best in Ferris last season. Won a couple of premierships now. Her dad was a famous AFL men's footballer, and she's spoken quite openly about how a lot of uh, people have approached you know approached him when she was a baby, saying you know how sad that he had a daughter instead of a son. Oh and my goodness! Yet you know. she um, she's just the most incredible footballer, and actually dedicated her career to. WNBL in America because there was no competition here for her to play and yet despite that she just looks natural and just you know a different level sometimes to the rest of the competition so she's the one I'd say to go out and check out uh, her highlights. I noticed as well um, a woman called Daisy Pierce is back in, back playing this year as well. Um, um, after mm. having twins, uh, just take one took one year out to have twins, and that's actually a common theme, if you like, at the moment in some of our podcasts about women, you know, women who become mothers returning to elite action in sport. And actually, Katie Heron from Donegal is over. Um, really interesting. She's gone over to play with Western this year, and she's brought her seven-year-old son with her, which is an amazing story as well. And um, Emma Duffer did a great story with her in the 42 online here recently. Um, but Daisy Pierce has caused that, that story alone has caused some interest as well, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, she was another one like Katie Brennan, uh, like Taylor, who was a real face of the competition from the beginning, uh, captain of Melbourne, played in the exhibition games even before the AFLW competition. So it was probably the most household name of any of the players. Uh, at least when the competition started, and was a midwife actually. So, um, oh. <laughs> and then yeah, announced, announced she was taking time out, which I think Melbourne fans weren't too happy about because <laughs> they weren't sure if we were going to see her back. But incredible that she's made her way back after just one season out. Amazing with twins. Wow. Um, tell us um, about the salaries and just about the pay levels. And and I, I was curious if you have. Uh, people transferring clubs and I noticed which made me laugh you know people giving out online saying oh they're leaving our club and I thought well that's what men do in professional sport all the time what are you giving out about <laughs> but um, what are the pay levels like and, and, and have they increased with the new collective bargaining um, they didn't increase this year they already had a, a pay agreement in place from last year which saw a gradual increase in wages uh, they range from anything like Twelve and a half grand Australian up to thirty-five, forty-ish max. Right. Um, but you know that. And that's, that's about that, real... that. The the top level is about twenty grand in in euro for us. That's about twenty grand in euro for us. Yeah, yeah, but that would that would be exceptional. You would only have maybe one or two players on that kind of wage. And all of the clubs have the same salary cap, meaning, you know, they can't spend outside of that uh, amount. So if someone's getting paid that much, obviously, it means that the other players are getting paid less. They basically have a three-tier system where you have top paid yeah. players, the middle middle range I, and the I'm, lower I'm range. I'm presuming, though, accommodation, food, that kind of stuff, is that taken care of or is that just for some of the Irish Irish girls? And also, while we're on that, do people come from other sports? Because I'm presuming there are other sports feeding into it as well with transfers. Yeah, 
Yes, definitely. Uh, we had a, quite a bit of crossover from basketball. Uh, so someone like, like Monique Conti was best on ground in the Bulldogs Premiership. She played for Melbourne Boomers, but actually this year she's given up basketball to focus on football. And we've seen a lot of that this year, players sort of making a decision about one sport or the other or taking unpaid leave from work. And uh, that's the big thing that I would say around the wages is just that uh, there's so many players who, well, Amanda Frugia, the captain of GWS Giants, actually quit on the verge of the pre-season uh, because she said she could no longer manage teaching and AFLW. And, you know, taking leave without pay from careers does not, you know, AFLW wage does not in any way make up for that. Um, you know, they're missing out on promotion opportunities super. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it really is taking a toll on a lot of the players. And if they have to move into state as well, I know players who, you know, were nurses in Victoria who end up taking, you know, barista jobs in Sydney to play AFLW. So, you know, they really are taking a hit both financially and in terms of their career progression. Interesting. Some of the Irish players who have gone over, obviously our students are, you know, are, 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 are taking a leave, taking a year out maybe from their work. Um, if they're teachers or things like that. So it's a bit, it's a bit varied. We can see that. Um, where do you see it going in terms of sustainability then? If they're, if, they're, if they're caught at the moment in this sort of, you know, halfway house, Kate, where they're not full-time, they're mm. sort of semi-pro, um, and uh, as you say, the salaries aren't even that high. Um, where do you see mm. it going? Do you, do you think it does have a, um, a serious future? And, what, and if it does, what, is, what needs to happen next? I think it does have a serious future and I think ultimately it will become professional. Uh, but how long that takes is really up to the AFL leadership uh, in terms of... I mean, I often make the point that I'm not sure that people realise that the AFL in, in Australia is actually a not-for-profit organisation. Is it? And wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, over the last few years, they've made approximately 50 million in profit <laughs> um, wow. so you know they're not an organization who can't afford to actually spend a lot more money on the women's competition uh you know i've spoken to people who've worked at the afl previously who've said if they wanted to make it professional now they could you know um yes. so i don't think we need to tiptoe around it you know uh, if anyone is following the men's competition here you know we introduced two new clubs um, Greater Western Sydney and Gold Coast in the recent past and millions and millions and millions of dollars were injected into those clubs knowing very well that they were not in AFL heartland, that, you know, these were generally rugby fans or other sport fans. So yeah. there's no reason why that same investment can't happen for women's football. And I and think that's what... And there's an interesting, there's an interesting uh, comparison to be made here, Kate, I suppose, because in Ireland, the GAA runs all the men's competitions. Women's football and camogie, the, the, the hurling version of the women's game here, they're run by separate organisations. Um, they're mm. not part of the GAA. But, but, but the point you're making is that AFL in, is running everything. It's running the men's and the women's yeah. games. OK, you have, private, you have private companies running each of the clubs, but AFL, mm. the whole thing is actually centrally run. So they have, they've started a women's game now. And your question is, why are they not investing? Do you know how much they're investing in it already? Um, I don't have an approximate figure, but yeah, it's 
true that that's how it works effectively is that the AFL runs both the men's competition and the women's competition. But, you know, that was one of the issues that came up, say, in the collective bargaining agreement discussions because the AFL Players Association was representing the women's players, but on their representative board, they only had one woman as a footballer. So, you know, the organisation is, is vastly dominated by the male players and... You know, and, um, and the administration, they're, they're therefore, they're... is as well. Common theme. We find this all the time. Mm, mm. So it, it's an open question, I think, what model is better? Because, you know, we saw it with tennis and Billie Jean King and the WTA breaking off. And God, that's been a much better outcome, yeah. hasn't it? In terms yeah, but they had so... the difference, Kate, is they, they, had, they were established. They had power. They had an audience. That, I suppose, is one of the arguments. While we're on this subject, because this is, again, one that crops up with us, is coaching. Um, are there any female yeah. coaches in the AFLW? Um, and and are there any, is there any system to promote female coaches in the AFLW? Well, this is one of my favourite topics. Well, it gets me a bit fired <laughs> up, really, because uh, <laughs> we only have one woman coach now in uh, the AFLW, and that's less than we had in the first season. In the first season, we had a couple in Beck Goddard and Michelle Cowan. Um, and Beck won a premiership in her first season, but after the second season was out of a job. So, Why? you know, I find that, you know, I find that astonishing. Um, you know, she wanted work at the club, you know, in the off-season from the women's game as well, and they weren't prepared to offer her that. They offered her an administrative role, actually. So, you know, um, I just think we're not doing anywhere near enough to not only, you know, give women the skills necessary to become coaches, because someone like Beth Goddard has those skills, uh, but we're not retaining them, and we're not promoting and employing them in the numbers that we should be. So it's very disappointing that we can have such an expansion of clubs and still have uh, only one just, senior coach. One, one senior coach, wow, yeah. And is there any initiative, do you, do you see them making moves to help that or to do any kind of leadership with female coaches yet? Uh, yeah, there's, um, they did announce a scholarship program where they select one person a year, I believe. This, you might need to check this, but... Uh, Say someone like Alicia Eva, who's now been promoted to captain in Amanda Frugia's uh, absence for GWS Giants. She's also a coach uh, in the men's competition, not uh, AFL, but the level below in, in New South Wales. So the AFL likes to make this argument that, oh, we just need to wait until these players retire and, you know, cut yeah. their teeth and become good coaches but it's not reality. <laughs> yeah, And I'm presuming as well, Kate, and probably need to explain this to, um, to our viewers and listeners, um, AFL, women's, women's footy has existed for a long time, so it's played mm. all the time at an amateur level out there, so there has to be coaches coming through that system as well. Mm. Oh, well, I think that's the frustrating thing for people who have followed women's football prior to the inauguration of AFLW, which is the national women's competition, which is that, you know, we had vast dominance of women coaches coaching at the state level. And then as soon as the competition became national, had money behind it, you know, that's when we saw a complete flip of the gender ratio in terms of coaching. So, you know, when people say to me, oh, we just need to wait for some of these better players to retire and become coaches, I just like to reinforce that. 
there's so many women out there. I've been coaching women's football for a very long yeah. time. <laughs> well, who, who grew the game, obviously, and it's clearly have. I was really shocked. I saw you you reacting to it, but like um, there was a, the, there was a, the CA, CEO of the AFL coaches said um, last week or whatever, for the time being, quote unquote, the best coaches are men, which I thought was an extraordinary thing to say. But there's a huge presumption. I couldn't believe that. He said that, yeah, the players have short careers and they want the best coaches and for the time being, the best coaches are men. And I just think, how can you be a CEO of an AFL Coaches Association and say something so blatantly sexist and untrue? Yeah, well, I it's, mean, and it's also the presumption that only good players are going to be great coaches. And there could be lots of great coaches out there already, female coaches, who, who aren't playing at the top level. We know that in all sport. Correct, and I think we understand that in other capacities, but, you know, uh, that's one thing that, that advocates for women in coaching have noticed is that, you know, suddenly we've got this influx of men who played a lot of AFL men's competition now becoming coaches, assistant coaches in the women's games. And in a way, you know, unfortunately, some of them see it as a pathway to build up to coaching in the men's competition. And we don't, you know, it's not fair that it's become a pathway for men coaching men. Yeah, yeah. And we know, we know, if you look at the statistics, we've talked about that here and off the bench as well. If you look at all the statistics, when they brought Title IX in in America, there were way more women's coaches in women's college sport. And now it's totally dominated by men who see it, first of all, as uh, they see it as a pathway to, to get more money and also as a pathway back into even bigger, bigger jobs elsewhere. And this notion that men tend to employ people they know and tend to employ people that you know they meet socially and all that rest and a lot of time it's men so that's one of the problems you have um, we've got lots of players over there Kate so um, I hope you're going to enjoy seeing them we saw Orla Dwyer brilliant tip dual player um, got a goal uh, on her debut last weekend for um, for uh, I think was it Brisbane and also one that made me laugh was Sarah Rowe who did some serious tackling on some of her uh, Mayo <laughs> teammates um, in another game as well and so there'll be lots of stuff like that'll be interesting for you to see yeah, it's funny you mentioned Sarah Rowe because I saw her play last year, I think, and I thought for Collingwood, and I thought, who's that? She's she's quite natural, you know, naturally gifted footballer. <laughs> she's yeah. We're showing a picture of her clobbering Neve Kelly here in, in the match last weekend to take it with a serious tackle. Yeah, and you know, uh, Cora Thornton. Everybody oh. knows her name here. She's. Uh, absolutely incredible how she's picked up our game. I can't imagine how talented she must we're, be. Oh, she, I mean, <laughs> a legend here, and de we're delighted to see her back in action after that terrible leg break as well. So she was back last uh -huh. weekend. So that is fantastic to see as well. Mm. And, you know, look, it's, um, it's so good having all the Irish girls here because it's really encouraged uh, other countries as well to get involved. Like we've, we had our first American. AFLW player Danielle Marshall last week um, kick a goal with their very first kick. Wow. So. <laughs> Really well, it is. It's it's. There's clearly going to be more growth. I think it's probably the pace of growth. Kate, like everything, is always the frustration for uh, for those of us who are interested, particularly in watching women's sport grow. Um, tell us a little bit. You you obviously you have kick like a girl is a radio program, but is it a podcast as well? 
Yes, yes, it's going to be a podcast for the very first time. Well, actually, it is a podcast. We've got the first episode up, but um, oh, the congrats. next episode we're waiting. Great, and you're yeah, also so. you're also a member of something called Siren Siren Sport or Siren, which I follow as well on social media. So, could you tell us what that is for people who'd be interested? Yeah, it's uh, it's basically a women in sport media collective uh, started off up by a bunch of us who were doing our own independent work in women's sport and just people who were really frustrated by the fact that, you know, despite this so-called revolution or explosion in women's sport, we haven't seen the same happen for women in sports journalism, uh, women in sports media. You know, unfortunately, a lot of us are still doing a vast amount of unpaid work or very insecure, unstable freelance work you know unfortunately my radio show is volunteer because it's on a not-for-profit uh, radio station here in Melbourne so I don't get paid for that and I just do the one article a week for the ABC which doesn't pay very well <laughs> so you know we're, we're, we're frustrated about it and and we're also sick of the marginalization of women's sport when it comes to mainstream media coverage and no matter how much complaining we do about it it never seems to change in a meaningful way and I think we've got this opportunity now we're riding this you know so-called wave of momentum we need to capitalize on that and see it happen in the way that women's sport is covered in the media so we decided to start doing it ourselves and try to raise some money and and the idea is to pay women properly because we're sick of doing free work. Well that's that's exactly how we started here on Off the Bench Kate <laughs> um, and now we are <laughs> up and running and we are a paid thing so for two years we did a voluntary right. so you stick at it because it does work I think and also it means so much to the people that you're covering um, and it means so much mm. I think to young to young sports fans boys and girls mm. to see that coverage and mm. to see it increase and um, you might take a look at the 20 by 20 movement in Ireland as well because you'll see that that's one of their aims um, and that's that's something that has started here almost like a social movement here in the last year which is really important thanks so much for your time we really appreciate it um, I recommend to everybody watching this to follow you um, and also Siren Sport for all things female sport in Australia and um, we love what you're doing and we really value your expertise um, and I think if anybody is really going to be interested now in AFLW with so many Irish down there um, they should be keeping an eye on your on your content Thank you. Same to you. Keep up the excellent work. It's really a pleasure to have been on. Thanks a million, Kate. Thank you. And before we finish up here today, um, I just there's a couple of things, a little bit of things we want to say here about AFLW. Um, the 42.ie online has is it does very good coverage. Uh, Emma Duffy in there, you know, as well as a regular here with us, is doing some brilliant work. That Katie Hearn piece she did in recent weeks is really good. But also there is an AF, there is a women's AFL league in Ireland. Um, women play footy in Ireland, and they also have social media. Um, they're generally, I think, on Twitter anyway, they're AFL Ireland Women. Um, and they're actually producing, I think, um, sort of a weekly update now that it's started and top five players and rankings and things like that. So if you're, if you're interested in AFLW, and we feel you can be interested in AFLW and the Lidl um, National Football League here because, as I said, there is a crossover. We don't know how long um, or how the growth in Australia is going to affect the availability of players back to their counties in future. But at the moment, they can do both. Um, and uh, and good on them, we say a bit like um, bit like Kate with Kick Like a Girl. Good on us for all um, keeping things going and having those opportunities that women never had before. Um, just before we finish, as well, we just wanted to say. Um, 
one of the founding members of Off the Bench, uh, Sue Murphy, uh, had a baby recently, um, her first child. So congrats to Mick and Sue and little Julie. So we hope we'll have many years um, of getting the opportunity to play sports and to see sports and to love sport. Um, that's all for this edition, folks. Um, we had a few wobblies uh, getting started this season, so we're later starting up than normal. But we're really looking forward to bringing you lots of content in 2020. You can find all our previous issues on um, iTunes or on offtheball.com. Go into their podcast series link there and you'll find all our previous editions. It's really important to us and it does mean something if you share it, if you like it and you share it and you pass it on. Um, please do that for us as well. Um, until the next time, take care of yourselves and enjoy your sport.